Hello, and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast, an ongoing conversation about public policy, governance, and global issues. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and joining us today is retired Brigadier General Kevin Ryan, who is currently the Director of Defense and Intelligence Projects at the Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs here at the Kennedy School. Among his many roles in his military career, Ryan has served as Chief of Staff for the Army's Space and Missile Defense Command, as well as Senior Defense Attaché to Russia. Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. So uh, you've written that the cooperation between Russia and the United States on space exploration uh, could serve as a template for how the two countries, along with other NATO member states, uh, could work together on missile defense. Mm -hmm. Now, is that feasible? How could it work? You know, that's, a, uh, that's interesting that you ask it. So if, you th- if, if people think back to the 1960s, uh, our two countries were locked in a strategic uh, confrontation. And, and space, the, the, the race to the moon, getting uh, satellites into space, this was a real co- area of strategic competition between our two countries. And it caught, we spent a lot of treasure on that race, and people died in that race. Uh, and and it was uh, we. Uh, President Kennedy came to uh, to power on the on the slogan that we were going to beat the Russians in the space race. Um, nobody in his right mind could have told you or suggested then that we would be cooperating with the Russians by the 1970s in space exploration, but we were with the policy use. And so. Uh, it's a and and it was driven for a lot of different reasons. And today, you know, you can't get an American astronaut into space unless he goes on a Russian rocket. So how do you get from a time when you're at complete strategic loggerheads in a in an important and high tech area like space exploration to today where you're completely cooperative and everything is businesslike? That. It seems to me like an excellent model for how we get from this loggerhead we have on missile defense to cooperation later. Somehow or other, I think there are lessons in there for us. What do you think is stopping that from happening today? What, what are the oh, Probably the same things that were existent in the 1960s. There's a lack of trust. That's the foundation of all our problems with, with Russia today. We, we don't trust them. Uh, they don't trust us. Um, uh, another is uh, there's a lack right now, there's a lack of a uh, business uh, reason to do this, or at least there's a lack of of, uh, vi- of seeing that business reason. There probably, I think there are business reasons, and that's, that's where we need people to, to think about uh, what could those business reasons be. Um, uh, saving money is the first you know, thought, and, and uh, I, I think there's a lot of money that could be saved. So in the during the Bush administration, there was a, a lot of uh, uh, conflict between the Russia Russia and the United States over uh, missile defense shield placement of radar installations in Eastern Europe. These kinds of things right. uh, that seems to have lessened somewhat in under the Obama administration. Uh, but how does if if Russia and the United States are to work together on missile defense, how does Russia come to not see those as mm-hmm. targeted? at them yeah well so you really have to see missile defense as a uh, more than just a uh, eight or ten year problem here or or issue between the two countries it really goes back to the 1960s uh, um, both sides saw missile defense as a very complicated as a complicating factor in trying to figure out 
how we balance ourselves against each other. Uh, and, and in the 1960s, we both agreed, you know what, let's just not have missile defenses because it's too hard to factor that into our strategic deterrent and our strategic balance. Um, but uh, in the 1980s, America began walking back from that uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, uh, the country leadership began to think, you know, what we really want to be able to put up a defensive shield, even if it's a small one, uh, uh, because we don't want to have to have our only choice being some massive nuclear retaliation for some problem that might confront us. And, and so that's been a long, slow withdrawal from that since the 1980s. And the Russians, for their part, they, they have not been able to technologically uh, or money-wise, they've not been able to keep up with what we're willing to invest billions and billions of dollars. So they, their answer has been, no, let's not change that because that would upset our strategic balance. Um, even today, after Bush and, and, and uh, Obama, who are just the latest in a long string of presidents who've all supported some sort of missile defense program, uh, even today the Russians uh, still are harking back to that balance. They want to maintain that balance. And, and the U.S. is uh, intent on deploying these, this new technology. And, and so that's why we have the, the, the loggerhead now. Um, so uh, you mentioned trust as a uh, big problem before. Right. Uh, you've been involved with a group called the ELB Group. Could you tell us a little bit about that? That's kind of bringing sure. uh, uh, American former officials and Russian former officials together to kind of perhaps build that trust? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, this is a what, what people call a track two uh, effort, which means it's not exactly government to government, although the people who are in this group it used to be leaders in the government. Uh, the the group is built around both military and intelligence officers retired from their services. So five Russian, five U.S. Uh, on the U.S. side, Army, Air Force, uh, CIA, uh, Defense Intelligence Agency. Uh, on the Russian side, the counterparts, um, uh, former uh, Russian military intelligence officers, uh, FSB, the successor to the KGB, and and interior troops and, and military officers, and you bring them together, and you you discuss the sensitive issues of the two countries, and and uh, in order that this doesn't just become a bunch of guys sitting around a table. Uh, smoking and joking, uh, they set as a target or a uh, requirement for themselves to then produce uh, documents, papers, articles, recommendations, policy recommendations that then they hand back to their contacts still in the government. Uh, they're not personally in the government anymore, but they have friends and, and young people that maybe that they mentored who are still in the government, and they, they pass these ideas back up. And uh, what are the major issues that they're debating? I'm sure it goes beyond missile defense. Yeah. So, so we try to pick uh, issues that are extremely sensitive and that involve intelligence uh, aspects to them. Because, frankly, uh, you can find lots of groups out there of people who meet from time to time and, and talk and, and have ideas and policy recommendations. The, the uniqueness of this group is that it, it meets regularly about once every uh, 9 to 11 months. And... And uh, they know each other more or less, although some members can change. But the key thing is that this involves intelligence officers, and that's very rare that, that uh, in any 
bilateral uh, grouping of retired people, but especially between the United States and Russia. It's, I don't know of another instance of it. Um, and uh, they try to pick subject areas that they know are sensitive to the two governments. So we look at missile defense. We look at uh, preventing nuclear terrorism. We look at uh, the strategic balance and deterrence uh, issues between and trust. And we and we Afghanistan, you know, how can lessons from the Russian and Soviet pull out in Afghanistan and what they did help us today? Uh, these are the kinds of things that we talk about. So uh, one of the major ones uh, that I've read about was uh, nuclear deterrence, or at least nuclear terrorism deterrence. Okay. Uh, it, can you tell us a little bit about uh, where is that on the priority list for the current governments of both the United States and Russia? Well, uh, this topic was the first one that we picked, and we picked it on purpose, uh, primarily because it was a topic that uh, it was not, you know, not your fault, not my fault. Um, it's a, it's a third-party threat, uh, which meant that we didn't have to get over a lot of, in, in, you know, personal baggage or, or, or diplomatic baggage in, in, de in dealing with each other. Uh, and it was also a threat that both countries had more or less agreed, existed, and deserved uh, working on. So Bush and, and uh, Putin... Uh, had had already done a lot of work on this and, and established a good government-to-government -government start. Uh, so why did you need us to come in on this? Because uh, things had begun to slow down, and, and maybe everybody below the presidential level, even in the United States, had not really gotten the message about how important this was to both our countries. So we looked at trying to energize the bureaucracies below uh, uh, below the presidential level. It seemed like when uh, the current administration, President Obama's administration, came into office, there was some chatter about uh, nuclear nonproliferation and avoiding nuclear terrorism. Do you think uh, uh, there's been s significant progress in that since uh, the administration has been in for the last four years? Yeah, I do. Uh, I would not uh, say that it's a, just because of the new presidential administration, but it's because over time the United States has been pretty consistent in its uh, uh, support of uh, of this, of addressing this threat, uh, and because it has been consistent, and because it has uh, basically been handed off from one administration to another. Um, with support at the highest levels from President Obama in the most recent case, uh, the Russian side has been willing to uh, work with us on this. So I, I would say it's it's primarily uh, because it's uh, it has been recognized universally by all sides as a uh, as a threat. So you mentioned uh, one of the things that made it easier to talk about that particular subject between the Russian and the United States governments, or uh, even at, it, at the Elb Group, uh, was that it was kind of third-party actors. Yeah. Um, today we are constantly hearing about North Korean missile tests, uh, Iran sending a monkey to space, supposedly, um, and uh, trying different missile uh, technologies. Is there some consensus that these are countries that we should be worried about between the two governments or even governments beyond Russia and the United States? Yeah, so I would say that there is a general consensus, but there is not enough of a consensus on, on enough details that, uh, that I, 
I think if you asked people in the United States government today, they would say they're not satisfied with where the U.S.-Russian relationship is on those two issues, mm-hmm. Korea and uh, Iran. They would like more cooperation. They would like closer cooperation. Uh, th- we would have to recognize that there that there is cooperation, that there is uh, a recognition that these are troubling areas and, and could pose a threat to Russia or to the United States. The, the issues about how, how do we deal with that? What, what steps do we take? And, and, uh, and there, there's, there's less of a consensus. And that's where a group like ours can try to come up with ideas. We may not be able to come up with them only ourselves. We, we bring in expertise from others. We study before we come into a meeting. And then we prepare for that meeting. And then we turn around and we, you know, depending on each of our uh, support, uh, individual support and collective support for these ideas, we turn around and try to push these ideas up. So what are these, uh, the, the behind these ideas, what are the concrete measures that need to be taken for cooperation to happen between the two countries? Well, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, there, is a, uh, there is actually a cooperative agreement, a legal document that both countries have, or that the United States has uh, proposed to the Russian side called a military technical cooperation agreement. Uh, in the area of sharing and working on technologies in missile defense. Um, if the United States and Russia could agree to that, and that provides protections for you know, uh, uh, copyrights and, and technology sharing, et cetera, it's, a, it's a, what most people would call a, a normal uh, business type agreement. Um, if we could come to agreement on that and sign that, that would open all sorts of doors for trying to cooperate, finding that money or that financial basis for cooperation that I alluded to earlier in missile defense. Um, We have not been able to come together on that for a number of reasons. So our our recommendations include, uh, you know, telling both governments, hey, let's really make an effort on this. Uh, um, This is a key uh, document. Let's not lose sight of it uh, as a stepping stone to closer cooperation. In the 2012 uh, election in the United States, uh, President Obama was caught uh, when he thought his microphone was off telling outgoing president, uh, Russian president uh, Medvedev, um, that uh, he would have more flexibility after his re-election. Uh, and he was asking him to pass that message along to incoming president, uh, once again, Putin. Okay. Uh has there been any indication that there ha- there is more flexibility on this administration's part now? Um, have there been increased talks or anything that you've seen? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, um, uh, first of all, you, you know, we, we wouldn't want to hold anybody to what they accidentally got overheard uh, saying. And, and uh, whether it be Romney or uh, Obama, I'm sure they both uh, have examples that they could show us. But... Um, uh, I think that the Obama administration has been very flexible with Russia and its policy toward Russia. Uh, and um, uh, uh, it remains flexible. On the other hand, uh, there, are, there are some political realities here in the United States that constrain the Obama administration. I think that the Obama administration, had it not been blocked by uh, political opposition in the Congress, um, might have been able to reach a missile defense agreement of some sort with the Russians, an understanding at least that would have diffused that issue and, and uh, taken it 
Uh, and, and if you diffuse that and address that, then you open up all sorts of other doors uh, in U.S.-Russian issues. Uh, so, and I think they'd still be willing to do that if uh, if there was an opportunity. But today, uh, both sides are a little bit cautious. They're they're pulled back from each other a little bit, and and they're you know they're they're waiting to see what can be done now. Does the flexibility exist on the Russian side as well? Do you think they're open to an agreement? Yeah, or yeah I, I think they're they're uh, reasonable on some things, and and an agreement could be had. Uh, Certainly, uh, I would not, you know, in the big picture of things, I would not call them less reasonable on this issue or uh, similar type issues than the United States. But, but you know, their objections are, are things that are uh, hard for us to understand often, and, and even though they're sincerely held on their part. You know. Well, Kevin Ryan, thank you so much for being with us thank today. You. I really appreciate it. Yeah. You've been listening to PolicyCast, a production of Harvard Kennedy School. More information can be found at hkspolicycast.org.